HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. This is Sherry Bayer from All in the Industry. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to episode three of Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, a cooking store located at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org and on iTunes. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Feast Your Ears. This week... I have uh, the second Tony in a row. Last week, I had Tony Butler uh, from St. John's Bread and Life. Uh, if you missed that show, you can find it at heritageradionetwork.org. Uh, but this week, I have Anthony Planakis here with me, better known as Tony Bees. Tony served as a member of New York's Finest for 20 years, uh, and Tony's been keeping bees for almost 40 years and was not only a detective, he was also their bee expert. Uh, Tony, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm I'm honored. Um, can you introduce yourself to the listeners and, and tell them and me a little bit about uh, what you do now that you're retired from the force? Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, I'm uh, Anthony Planakis. Um, right now, uh, what I'm doing is I'm just concentrating on uh, uh, working on my bees and doing a little bit more research on them and uh, just to see if, uh, if there's any ways that we can, anything that we can do to, uh, to try and uh, uh, help their survival. Um, so you, how many hives do you keep currently? Uh, right now I have five here in Queens, and I have about four up in Connecticut. And what I like to do is I, I like to stay by the hives, to work with the hives, so I see if anything is, is uh, going right or going wrong. Um, <clears throat> where did you grow up, and how, and how did you get into beekeeping? <laughs> I grew up in East New York, uh, over Van Sickland and Atlantic, and from there moved over to uh, Jamaica and Woodhaven. And then uh, found myself in uh, Regal Park. Um, started with beekeeping, I'd say around officially 1977. But my first, my first uh, uh, 
being involved with the bees was when I was in Crete in 1971. And uh, at that time, uh, it was around July or August, uh, my father had come in for a vacation. And uh, he said, come on, we're going to go help uh, your uncle extract the honey and which i had no idea what he was talking about and um i see them suited up and said okay fine you know it's it's probably nothing you know it's going to be easy and uh and i get down to the apiary and next thing i know these these things are all over me and uh which i didn't realize how aggressive these bees were over there and uh i got stung and i said well this isn't for me it's not for me i just ran and that that was really the first time i was i ever had uh an encounter with bees and then um about a year later, uh, we uh, purchased a property out in Connecticut, which we still have in uh, Newtown. And uh, uh, my father, he was going to work, and he goes to me, it was during the summer, and he goes, uh, listen, UPS is stopping by today. He's bringing a couple of boxes. Just follow the instructions. So I looked at my mother, and I go, what's in the boxes? And she goes, oh, it's another one of his uh, ventures. He wants to get into beekeeping. And uh, right away, <laughs> I thought about what happened in Crete, and I was like, uh, where's he going to have these hives, Mom? And she goes up in Connecticut, and I was like, all right. So I started assembling the equipment, wanted nothing to do with the bees, and then uh, it wasn't until, uh, I'd say about three or four years later, my father looked at me, and he goes, uh, you, you really don't understand what you're missing. You know, when, when you sit here and you work with these, don't look at them as bees, and don't look at them as what happened to you in Greece. Uh, he goes, get in there, get involved. He goes, you're going to see a totally different world. And he was right. Hmm. So your father was really was the, the impetus for that. He yes. kept bees and, and you yes. had them around. The, it's a good thing you stuck with it. I mean, you have a, you have a fantastic tattoo on your arm oh. of, a, of a honeybee. It's Thank really, you. Uh, Thank you. So, you know, clearly you're, you're committed to it oh, now. Yeah. So. Um, so when you were growing up and you guys had the, the hives, was, it, was the rest of the family involved? Do you have any siblings? Oh, uh, yes. I have uh, three sisters. No, they weren't. They no. weren't. It was just uh, my father, really. He was... I, I guess it was, it was it was his escape, you know, and uh, which I, I look at it now, and uh, he was so right. It is because now you're going into a different world. You, you, you forget about what's going on around you. You're going into a perfect society over there, where there is there's no jealousy, no nepotism, no cronyism, nothing. It, that doesn't exist in there. You know, it's just uh, the industrious little creatures and. Uh, yeah, I, I find it fascinating. You know, we have a couple of hives on the roof at the Brooklyn Kitchen, and I, you know, I, I am a, you know, very, 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 very amateur. I've done a little bit of work with it, and I've had employees over the years, a couple of them, Angie, who introduced me sure. to you, um, you know, now helps us keep the bees. She knows a lot more than I do, but I really enjoy the opportunities when I'm around, when she's inspecting the hives, to get to see that, to when it gets opened up. I mean, they are fascinating fascinating creatures and i it really isn't i i see what you mean about it being an escape i always find it very calming sure because you also kind of have to you have to be a little bit zen yourself you have to sort of Absolutely. get into like a slightly meditative state you can't move too quick you don't want to you know you don't want to make them mad obviously you can sure. get stung i mean i've gotten stung even through you know some of the gear mm -hmm. and but you also you know you're you're ripping apart their home and you're going in there to take a look. And, you know, I, I said to my daughter, who's six, I was showing her the hives and, and, you know, the bees were flying around her. And I said, you know, they're just checking you out. Don't, you know, don't swat at them. Don't move too fast. I said, how would you feel if some giant thing came and ripped the roof off our house and was looking at you? You'd probably be pretty mad. That's so true. And a lot of people don't realize that. And it's uh, the, the first thing I tell people, when, if you're going to go into a hive, first of all, there has to be a reason you're going into the hive. Don't disturb them. Leave them alone leave them alone should you have to go into that hive every move slow and deliberate that's it 
uh, no sudden moves, no sudden, you know, uh, distra no distractions, anything. Just concentrate, concentrate. I mean, a lot of the swarms that I took down, I would say a good 80% of the swarms, you'll see that I was, uh, a lot of times I was unsuited. Yeah, yeah. There, there's some great photos. Uh, you can find Tony on Instagram at, at Tony Bees, and he's got some great photographs in there. Um, I think you posted one recently, the very first swarm you ever yes. took down for the NYPD, right? Exactly, yeah. And, um... <laughs> As a matter of fact, somebody was asking me, were you wearing a hat? And I go, no, that was just for men, number seven. That was the hair dye I was using <laughs> back then. You know, but it was, again, it was, uh, like you said, it, you do put yourself in that zen mode. I mean, you, you control your breathing because they're very sensitive to the carbon dioxide, very sensitive to that, very sensitive to your movements. You know, with, uh, obviously, when the stress level goes up, what's the first thing that happens? Respiration, perspiration, everything increases. They sense that. And now it puts them on a guard state, like, hey, what's going on here? So you have to understand them when you're going into that hive, you know, to, to be as, as calm as possible. Now, when you went into the NYPD, mm -hmm. was uh, having a knowledge of bees on the test or on an interview? How did, how did, you know, how did that come up uh, when you came into the department? And then, you know, were you the, the one on the department? I mean, if there was a, a swarm anywhere in the five boroughs, were you the guy that got the phone call? No I was what? the one, yeah. I even got a phone call one day. I was in uh, on a beach in Rhodes. And uh, uh, when you first go into the department, they give you a little card, and they, they, they want you to list on there uh, all your experiences, uh, you know, past, past jobs, anything that you've ever had that maybe the department might be able to use that. Uh, so I, air conditioning was one of my, uh, my uh, experiences. Uh, I, I've been in the air conditioning field for quite a, quite a long time, electrician for since 1980. Uh, beekeeping. I also put I also put down handball and paddleball because I used to love playing that, but they never called me for that, so it was worth a shot. But um, no, yeah. no swarms of handball players. No, no nothing like that. <laughs> so I waited though for twenty years, never got a call. Yeah. And um, yeah, the uh, the very first uh, job I got was um, I graduated in September that spring. That spring of '95 uh, was the very first job that I got. And ever since then, I just told them, listen, if you ever get swarms like this, just call me. Reason being is because I, the one thing that I stressed was humanely remove them. You're looking out for the public safety also, because the first thing that's going to happen is that somebody's going to see these bees. The first reaction they're going to have, they're not going to think about what's going on. The blinders come on. They only remember being rushed to the hospital if they were allergic, swelling up, anaphylactic shock. That's the only thing they're going to remember. They're not going to think about that truck coming down the street. They're going to run right into the middle of traffic mm. just to get away from that one little bee, which probably wants nothing to do with them. You know, so um, I, I told them, whenever you get swarms like this, just call me. I will relocate the bees. You know, I'll remove them and relocate them. What, uh, are there any particularly memorable swarms over the years in, in either odd places or that were sort of, you know, like you couldn't believe that you found them there? Um, huh. Actually... Not, not really. Um, they, they were all pretty much, uh, I'm not going to say routine because no job is ever routine. Um, uh, aside from finding them inside the houses, that was really the only... Uh, the only sure, there was, there was a house in Queens, right, where you yes. had to take them out. They were under the bedroom. Yes, in the, they were in the, the walls bedroom. or in the, in the floor. Right. There was one photo that I, that I saw, um, if I remember correctly, it was on the bottom of a, access to the bridge. And the, the bees yes. had drawn out these sort of beautiful, natural... Combs. Uh, in your beekeeping, are you letting the bees do any of that kind of natural comb work, or no. do you have it all in? 
connect no, uh, I, to supers? What I do is I set up the base for them. I put the uh, foundation in and I let them draw that out. You have to understand one thing that uh, you're looking at approximately eight pounds of honey to make one pound of wax. So now if the bees have to work that hard to draw out naturally the uh, foundation, and then there's a possibility that, that the, uh, the frames might interlock, the wax might interlock. So now instead of pulling out one frame at a time, you're stuck because now you have two frames. So now what you have to do is you have to cut through that. How much damage are you doing to the brood? How much damage are you doing to the frames? So I, I gave them a, uh, like a starting point. I always do that. And uh, every three years, uh, re religiously, I'll change the wax on the uh, brood chambers, you know, especially here in the city. Um, but the, uh, the one in the Brooklyn Bridge, was uh, that was incredible. It was the third swarm from that vicinity, that area. The first one was down at uh, South Street Seaport on a fire hydrant that was totally covered. Uh, the second one was on the South Street Seaport in the back on um, kind of like a seating area. And then this was the third one, the last one, because it was towards the end of the season. And it came over as a swarm, and I said, no, it's impossible. It can't be a swarm. And when I went over there, I pulled out the, uh, the binoculars, and I'm looking at it. I was like, wow, that's a big swarm. I was like, whoa, that's not a swarm, because the bees moved out of the way, and I saw the comb hanging over there. And, so it was a fully developed hive, and they had just been living hive. there for... That season. Yeah. That, that season, it started, and luckily, I, I did get that job, and luckily, we did remove that hive, um, and it was the, the most beautiful temperament on the bees I have, I have ever seen. Unbelievable. I could have done that. Going, That's their home now. Different mode of operation, as opposed to a swarm. Right. Because now you're disrupting their home. They will be protected, but they weren't. It was as if they knew that you were there to help them. And luckily, uh, because every uh, piece of foundation that I removed from the bridge, there, there, was no, there was no nectar in there at all. There was nothing in there. So these bees would have died. Hmm. They never would have made it through the winter. Right. So where did the, what happens to, in a case like that, or in a case of a swarm? So you, you, got, you got called, or, mm -hmm. or get a call now. I'm sure this still happens now, even when, now that you're not in the department. And what happens to those bees? You come and you collect them and mm -hmm. get them into a container of some sort, and yes. then where do they go? Uh, well, what I'll do is I'll reach out to the beekeepers in the area, and I'll ask them, do you want the bees? Do you, I'll, what I'll do before I even get to the job, I'll make the phone calls, and I'll, I'll say, listen, I'm on way, my way to a swarm. I don't know how big it is. You interested? Let me know. Call me back. You know, because obviously they're at work or wherever they are, and they haven't seen their hives. They haven't checked their hives. And uh, I'll get calls back a lot of times. Yeah, saying no problem. Drop them off, or I'll meet you somewhere. You know, but um, I'll, I'll never bring them back to my hives to uh, combine them with mine. I'll never, because um, my strain, um, I'm very particular, you know, uh, where they come from. You have to understand when you're... When you're adopting, let's say, so to speak, uh, these bees, uh, you don't know where they've been. You don't know what parasites might be on them, what diseases they might have on them. You don't know. Sure. sure. So now uh, I'm going to take my bees. I'm going to take those bees, introduce them into my hives, which are from California, the bees, uh, and destroy my apiary. No. You know, so, you know, but I let the people know, listen, it was a rescue safe, so to speak, uh, swarm. And uh, if you're interested, you know, uh, they're yours. Yeah. That's great. Um, Tony brought me some of his uh, products. So you, you harvest quite a bit of honey, obviously, from, yes. your, from your hives. Um, I believe you're up over 400 pounds this, this year. This year so far on four hives, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's incredible. Um, <laughs> do you, have, did you notice in your years of beekeeping and having done it in, outside the city and then inside the city, do you notice a difference in the way that the bees 
act and produce honey um, in a place like, say, Connecticut, where, I mean, I'm not sure where you lived, but I'm assuming that it was a little bit less urban than where you are now. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, there's this, um, you know, which I also, I, I tell the people, listen, it's exclusive to where that hive is, your, your beekeeping technique, so to speak, because what works in uh, Connecticut isn't going to work here. You have to understand, because in Connecticut, you don't have trucks running up and down Woodhaven Boulevard. You don't have the constant vibration. You don't have the kids in the schoolyard behind my house, which there is a schoolyard right there, and I uh, never had an incident. Yeah, I mean, one of the questions I wanted to, to actually ask you um, about our hives at the Brooklyn Kitchen, you know, we have them on the roof, but we're right yeah. next to the BQE. Okay. And, you know, our hives over the years, since about 2011, we've had a series of hives. We lost some in cold winters. Um, we had one this year that the queen died, ended up getting combined with another hive. But we've never managed to have them really produce what the folks who were helping me keep the bees thought was enough honey that we could take some. We had to, leave, you know, we always left it for them for the winter um, for food. And I've been trying to sort of think about whether or not that is somehow related to the highway being right there, and whether that acts as some kind of natural natural barrier um, to them in terms of flight. Well, it's all according to. Uh, there's a couple of variables you have to you have to keep in mind. Number one, the uh, direction of flight. The direction that these hives are facing, number one, if they're facing south by southeast. Number two, what's the foraging area? What do they have over there to forage on? Uh, number three, if they are flying directly towards the BQE, highly unlikely any of them are making it over. So on a situation like that, what I would do is I would build a natural barrier to elevate their their flight pattern. So let's say uh, about 10, 15 feet in front of that hive, I would put up an 8-foot or not even an 8-foot, like a 5-foot wall. So that would force them to fly over the wall. It would force them to fly high and to actually clear the BQE. Now, on the reverse, coming back, if there is anything over there, if they were foraging there, on the reverse coming back, they know that they have to go this certain elevation to come back and to fly back down into their hives. So you're going to see an increase. They're so they're so fascinating, such fascinating creatures. We're going to take a short break here and hear from the sponsors. And when we come back, I will get to the f- amazing products that Tony brought for me to taste. Take a sip from your chalice, just Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and with me today is Anthony Planakis, better known as Tony Bees. You can follow Tony on Instagram at at Tony Bees, uh, and you can find this show on Instagram at 
feast your ears. Um, so, Tony, before the break, um, I had made reference to and then got a little bit sidetracked the, the products that you brought today. So you've harvested 400 pounds of honey this year. Um, is that a, that's a large year, I expect. Uh, I'll let you know when I'm done because <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I'm going to. I have about another hundred or so pounds to uh, wow. to extract, and that's, and that's out, out of four of hives. Four hives. That's four that's hives. amazing. Yeah. So in front of me, um, and I, I'll I'll post some pictures uh, on Facebook and on social media. Um, you brought me some of your raw local honey um, from Queens, and then there's a jar here that has a beautiful beautiful pepper in it. Um, <laughs> I and, love cayenne. <laughs> I love cayenne. <laughs> and so this is just honey with a cayenne pepper mm, in it. Uh, actually, that there... honey is infused with uh, habaneros and cayenne peppers. Oh wow! I haven't, I haven't tasted that one yet. Maybe after. And the show. a little scotch bonnet on that one. And do you put fresh pepper or is that dried? Fresh. Fresh pepper, right in the fresh. honey. That dried pepper that's in there is my pepper that I grew, and I sun dry that, and I use that as my. Uh, Kind of like a trademark, if you so to speak. Sure. Uh, and then there's some hot sauce here that I yes. did taste before the show that was fantastic, and that is just ground peppers in honey. That's the peppers that I grew uh, along with my honey. Uh, it's I have habaneros in there, I have datils, and I have cayenne peppers in there, and Korean hot, uh, and it's in the linden-based honey in that also. So everything there in your hand is out of my backyard. Wow, that's that, and this I have to say was one of the one of the best sweet hot sauces I've ever tasted. It was fantastic. Um, my father uh, was born in the Caribbean, and so I grew up eating hot sauce a lot. And this is this Thank is fantastic. You. And the Thank the you. honey serves as a preservative. I mean, sure. Honey honey is naturally a preservative. Um, yeah. I, uh, I you know honey for those of you that don't know. Um, pretty much never goes bad yes. uh can sort of you know it'll it'll last it'll dry out obviously there is a mm-hmm. certain amount of water content but yes. honey if left out in a jar as long as it doesn't get contaminated is never really going to go bad uh and then there's another product here and this is ginger yes it is ginger ground up with honey as well unfortunately i didn't grow that ginger. <laughs> <laughs> you know there are, there are some folks growing ginger now in the northeast uh, yes. we've been getting ginger from pennsylvania and from massachusetts um that's really that uh is quite good. So. I did a little reading up on the ginger, and I didn't realize it was you could just put it in the ground and the root expands. Uh, yeah, it'll it'll just go. So you also grew these peppers, obviously. Yes. Um, so you have hives. You grow a number of variety of peppers, yes. obviously. Do you grow anything else? Um, yeah, I have my uh, sage, my oregano, my basil, um, my. Uh, Two variety of fig trees, uh, then a lot of wildflowers, plus a lot of clover that I put down in my backyard also. Uh, now, the the beauty of that is that tells me when there's a nectar dearth. Because during the season, um, even like early in June, uh, we were standing in the backyard. Um, Mike Rowe was in the backyard, and he looked at me, and he goes to me, you've created a haven back here for them. And I go... Pretty much, yeah, I have. And he goes, but I don't see them foraging. And I go, they won't forage in front of the uh, hives. And he goes, okay. So he goes, so what are the benefits? And I go, this tells me when there's a nectar dearth taking place. Because then they're going to start foraging in the backyard here. Then I'll know. So it's the uh, the oregano I let go wild on one side. And then I have another uh, plant that I, uh, oregano plant that I planted uh, Crete, uh, from Crete. And that's starting to take off now. And... Um, Plus my uh, beans also I had growing and uh, some uh, heirloom tomatoes hmm. also. That's uh, that's fascinating. Yeah, so you, so uh, the you've created this haven, but uh, they don't really forage near the hives. So when they Correct. come back, 
um, you know about you know that there's nothing out there in the wild essentially correct right they're running out of, running out of stuff out there um, you talk about the different varieties of having clover honey or having linden honey yes. how do you how do you how are you sure is it just do you harvest the honey based on when the, the trees are in bloom <laughs> the linden was funny because um, there's I, I use when, when, when I go outside my house, when I'm walking my dog, there's uh, two linden trees that are on Fitchett Street uh, right around the corner from my house. And uh, it's funny because uh, I'm surprised. It, it, it took a while, and I finally spoke to the owner of the house because I would stand there in front of her house with my dog just sitting there staring at the tree. <laughs> I just Finally, I saw her, and I said, listen, I'm not a psycho. I'm not a nut. I'm just sitting here watching. I want to know when this tree is going to bloom because that tells me when to put my supers on my hive. She goes, what are you talking about? And I go, well, I have the bees about two blocks away from here. So, um, and then I'll call up a couple of people and tell them, listen, Linden's about to bloom. Get your supers on there now. You know, so I, I go by that. So then I'll see also, I'll stand behind the hives and watch the flight direction where the bees are going. So I know they're working the Linden trees or I know they're working the clover across the street by the cemetery. Um, you obviously must eat a lot of honey. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you were a kid, I mean, was honey a big part of the diet because your father was raising hives? No, not at all. Not at all. I would say uh, when I really started getting into honey, uh, let's see, I'm keeping bees now 38 years. Uh, 38 years. <laughs> <laughs> what, did, what did your family do with the honey? Did your dad harvest the honey? Yes, he did. And uh, what he did was uh, he, he gave a lot of it out, you know, during the holiday seasons. He would give it out as gifts also. I have one pail left um, uh, from a harvest that he made it's uh, 60 pounds of the most incredible and I'll never ever be able to duplicate this honey um, it's it's a buckwheat honey but it's also mixed in with uh, the tulip poplar and when the evergreens were blooming too so he did a combination extraction the darkest sweetest it's like wine the honey and uh, I, it, it's priceless priceless mm. and uh, I brought it to a couple of uh, the shows, and they said, do you sell this? And I go, no, I can't. I can't, because once it's gone, it's gone. That's it. And when? And how, old is, how old is that? When 1985. That 1985, and it's, uh, it just aged so beautifully. It's unbelievable. It didn't crystallize. I mean, it's, it's just fantastic. Hmm. It, it, it's a beautiful honey. Um, the flavor, I can't. I, I will never, ever be able to duplicate that honey. Never. I guess that's, I mean, I would imagine that that's to a certain extent true every year, right? I mean, obviously you can buy clover honey and linden sure. honey and you can, you can try to sort of put the supers on at the right time, mm-hmm. but whatever is blooming and whatever the bees decide they're interested in visiting at that moment, they're going to bring things back to the hive. Right. Now you have to understand also that this honey, when it was harvested, it was pre-GMO. It's 1985. They were unheard of. Uh, pesticides really weren't any. Buckwheat was growing wild in Connecticut. It was growing wild. And that was your original nitrogen source. Your clovers, was your, the farmers, that's what they used for fertilizer back then. And um, now they're using, I think it's called the winter rye that they turn over. Yep. Uh, they turn that over, and uh, it's not too much really you're going to get out of it. Actually, there's, you're not going to get anything out of it. It doesn't bloom in time. And I think the, the, uh, the reason why they stopped going with the buckwheat was because they couldn't catch it in time if it bloomed. Um, that was it. The season for them was was pretty much shot. You're going to find a couple of uh, beekeeper uh, farmers. Actually, what they do is they'll use the first planting as the fertilizer, leave the second planting, let it blossom, 
that's when they throw their hives out to grab the, uh, the buckwheat honey, and then they'll turn that over in the winter. So, I mean, those are... In the years that you've been keeping bees, have you seen, you know, in the past couple of years, there's been a lot of documentation about sort of hive death um, and there being a problem with the honeybee population. And it's really, I think, you know, obviously it's, an, it's a big issue, but I, I do think there is a good side to it, which is it's drawn into focus the importance of bees in the agriculture system and that really, you know, they're, they're completely necessary. We can't get around them. And um, have you noticed any issues with your own hives or with hives in the city and of people that you know? Well, with my hives, not, no, no, not with my hives. Um, because you have to understand also, uh, the, where the proximity of where my hives are and what they're foraging on, uh, your pesticide use is, is minimal, number one. And there is no GMOs over there. Sustainability, I mean, it's high. It's high because I have, uh, even though I have four active hives, I call them, uh, active uh, the fifth hive was a late start, so I do have five hives over there, but I have 10 acres per hive across the street from my house, so it's sustainability. Um, it's like uh, compared to putting 20 pounds of bologna in a five-pound bag, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So I don't care if you have 100 hives on top of a building in midtown Manhattan, it's not going to happen, bottom line. And those hives, what's going to happen, those bees, they're going to suffer. Because the nutritional value, where is it? Oh, I'm going to feed them sugar, water, would honey be healthy? No, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. You can't, can't get blood from a stone, right? Anything exactly. Like it's like a mother turning around, having her child, and say, do you breastfeed your baby? Yeah, I give it cream or mixed with water. It, you know, it's, it's, it's not the same thing. The nutritional value, it's not there. So now what happens is their immune system starts to drop. Diseases start coming in. Oh, I'm going to treat it with teramycin and a fumigillin. But now you're going into the chemical mode. You don't have to do it because now what you're doing is you're shutting the bees down. Their natural immune system, you're shutting them down. And they're going to be susceptible to anything that's out there, which right. I don't do that with mine. Have you, have you seen a rise in beekeeping? Obviously, you've been keeping bees in the city for quite a long time. And a couple of years ago, it, it became legal. I mean, it yes. was, you know, sanctioned. 2010. <laughs> yep. Um, have you seen... Uh, have you seen a market rise in people keeping bees, or do you think it's sort of been about the same? Uh, no, it's been, uh, there's been an interest in beekeeping. But w what I try to explain to people, it's, it's like, yeah, you could do it, but again, at the same time, it's, it, it's a give-give situation here. You're going to set up your hive, but if they don't have the food, if they don't have the foraging, you know, you're not going to be successful. Well, and that's exactly, I mean, that's, you know, that's why I raised the question about Arby's of the Brooklyn Kitchen. It's something that I've struggled with mm -hmm. about, you know, I think it's interesting. It's interesting from a perspective of customer education to be able to talk about it. Um, the fact that, you know, where bees fit into the ecosystem, but we've had, you know, it's been very hard for yeah. us to keep those bees. And, and obviously it's been hard for those bees to sure. stay alive and to, to have healthy community. And so I'm not sure if it's a project we're going to continue, um, at least until I can figure out perhaps some of the, perhaps the flight issue is yeah. one that we're having. We're talking about trying to put in some rooftop garden, but they may not forage there if they don't forage near their hives. So I'm not sure where we're going to go with it. Right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the, the argument that I always get, hey, the bees will forage two and a half miles, five miles in either direction. Yeah, but look what they're going through to get there and look what they're going through to come back. It, it, it doesn't work like that. I mean, two and a half miles in, in Connecticut or, in, you know, in, a, uh, in, in the wild, 
you can't compare that to the concrete, you know, to... Well, the, I mean, you could compare it to driving, right? If, some, if, exactly. if you're sitting here, if we're sitting here in Bushwick, and you said, well, you know, two and a half miles, I mean, you can get to Harlem, right? Sure. You know, how long is that going to take you? And if you're in Connecticut, you go two and a half miles down the road, how long is that going to take you? You know what I mean? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> similar, similar kind of thing. Um, well, I think we're pretty much out of time today, Tony. I, you know, I feel like we could, we could go on and on, and sure. perhaps I'll have you on the show again sometime in the future. Um, is there anything, you know, any parting words that you have uh, for the listeners about what you do or about uh, keeping bees in the city? Or uh, if, you, if you really want to take up the hobby, what, what I strongly, strongly suggest anybody to do, read, read, read. Read everything you there is to know about the uh you know everything any book that you can get your hands on you know i like to go back to the old timers the uh the daydons the uh langstroffs um your roger morse's your sealies uh you know the old authors uh the ones who've had experience with the bees just to get, to get an idea what's involved it's not just a matter of putting a box on top of a roof and you know throwing some bees in there because you know something um believe it or not when somebody brings up the word colony collapse disorder uh you might think to yourself that you might even be, uh, you know, a part of that. You know, so it's um, it's sad. It's really sad. You know, it's, uh, that, that's pretty much it. Yeah. And if any questions, you know, you have my email address, just pop me an email. Yeah. I, believe me, I have no problem. Call, whatever. You know, I'll stay on the phone with you for hours, you know. And definitely be sure uh, to follow Tony uh, on Instagram, uh, at Tony Bees. Uh, really great pictures of his hives and his thank garden you. and thank you. his cute dog. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening to Feast Your Ears uh, this week. Join us next week, uh, same time, 1 o'clock on Wednesday. And please take a moment to like the show on Facebook and iTunes if you're able to. Thanks very much. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>